hymns and uh, songs, and it's going to be a, it's going to be a really fun evening. So we're looking forward to the story tomorrow. <clears throat> well, we've been in this Advent series these four weeks leading up to Christmas, and this week the theme is love. And these candles over here remind us of four different themes about the story of Jesus' birth. Um, that the story of Jesus' birth is, as the first week reminded us, it's a story of hope. It's a story of hope, a hope for freedom and forgiveness, uh, a hope of being made new one day. Christmas is also a story, as we looked at the second week, a story of peace, about peace with, with God, peace in your own relationships, peace with your own soul. Uh, Christmas is also a story about joy, as Heidi talked about last week. And she did a great job, by the way. I'm, I know I'm biased, but mm -hmm. she did a great job. She's overworking with the kids, so she didn't even hear that smattering of applause. I'll tell her it was really loud. <clears throat> there we go. You hear that, babe? All right. Uh, but it is, it's a story of joy, this joy that happens when we hear the good news of redemption and, and that it's a story of great joy for all the people, right? So the Christmas story is beautiful. It's, it's sweet. It's tender. Um, I mean, there's a baby. For crying out loud, there's a baby in the center of the story, so it's got to be sweet and tender. But we also have looked at the fact that the, the, the act of Christmas, the coming of Jesus, was an act of war. There's a battle in the spiritual realm uh, because God sent Jesus to reclaim this world once and for all from the rule of the evil one. So Christmas is so many different things, so many different themes, but I think that above all else, Christmas is a love story. So will you pray with me as we dive into looking at this love story? Uh, Father, thank you that you did send Jesus. And it is a love story. That Christmas is your love story to us. Thank you that you're with us. Thank you for this family, these people. Um, I'm so grateful. Ask now that you would come and that my words would be put out of the way and that you would speak directly to hearts what you want to say as we take this time out this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, here at Hope, we like to remind ourselves that hope is a place where imperfect people belong. We say that here God moves, lives change, and love acts. And I was thinking about even that as I looked at the Christmas story. And, and I think that the coming of Jesus, being born as a baby, illustrates that saying, what we like to say here. It illustrates it perfectly, right? I mean, the whole imperfect people thing. You just look at the life of Jesus, the people that he hung out with, the people that were attracted to him. I mean, there were... Sick people and lepers and sinners and prostitutes and the irreverent folks, people that were seen by the rest of society as not good enough or cultured enough. Uh, that's who Jesus hung out with, the imperfect people. And, and I mean, even think through the rest of the story, the story of Jesus' birth. Wow, yeah, that is. That's God moving. Yep, that's lives changing. Check, right? Love acts. Oh, big time. Big time. And that's the one I really dialed in on here because, um, see, God was not content to simply continue through eternity just relating to people through the law or through ritual or through sacrificial systems. And so love acted and God moved. God sent Jesus. And, and probably one of the most familiar scriptures in all of the Bible is John 3, 16. 
And it says what I just said uh, this way. It says, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. See, friends, this is a love story that we live in. God loved and love acted, and he sent Jesus. I mean, you think about this at all, it's just kind of a crazy-sounding plan, right? I mean, he's God. He did not need to subject himself to human flesh and pain and, and struggles. I mean, he could have just let the planet, you know, burn, self-destruct. We were heading that way anyway. But no, God came anyways. And it reminded me of the song that we've sung so many times this past year, Reckless Love. And, you know, I'd, I've heard some people, um, not so much around here, but some other folks sometimes, you know, look at that whole Reckless Love song that, that we sing, and they get, a little, they get a little uncomfortable with that whole, you know, Reckless Love phrase. I guess they think it's just maybe too familiar, too indignified, too irreverent. But seriously, folks, when we think of how God came to earth. I mean, born in a barn. He came as a helpless baby. Um, in a feeding trough in a stable is where he was laid. His parents were not officially married yet. They were pledged to each other. Um, and they're surrounded by barn animals, visited by, you know, smelly shepherds. I mean... Um, when I look at that scene, it reminds me that God took the greatest risk of all, and he sent Jesus, and he did it out of love for you and for me. He did it out of love for us. And some might say, and I would tend to agree, it's kind of an undignified, uh, reckless love. Um, Corey Asbury is the guy who wrote that song, and when he talks about this song, he says this. He says, when I use the phrase, the reckless love of God, I'm not saying that God himself is reckless. I am, however, saying that the way he loves is in many regards quite so. What I mean is this. He is utterly unconcerned with the consequences of his own actions with regard to his own safety, comfort, and well-being. God's love isn't crafty or slick. It's not cunning or shrewd. In fact, all things considered, it's quite childlike, and might I even suggest sometimes downright ridiculous. He goes on to say, God's love bankrupted heaven for you. He doesn't consider himself first. His love isn't selfish or self-serving. It doesn't wonder what he'll gain or lose by putting himself out there. He simply gives himself away on the off chance that one of us might look back at him and offer ourselves in return. He says, there's no plan B with the love of God. He gives his heart so completely, so preposterously, that if refused, most would consider that heart to be irreparably broken. Yet he gives himself away again and again. The recklessness of his love is seen most clearly in this. It gets him hurt over and over. Make no mistake, our sin pains his heart. And 70 times 7 is a lot of times to have your heart broken. And yet he opens up and allows us in every time. His love saw you when you hated him. When all logic said, they'll reject me, he said, I don't care if it kills me. I'm laying my heart on the line. And my friends, that is what he did for you and for me, for this world. It's a reckless love. 
In fact, the stories that Jesus told in his ministry on earth, the parables, they, they paint these pictures of how deeply God loves us. Many of them, uh, stories like the prodigal son, my favorite. It's the story of this rebellious kid who runs off and makes a huge mess of his life. He embarrasses his family. He blows the financial inheritance that he received from his family. He spends it on prostitutes and partying. And then he hits bottom. He comes home. And instead of punishment, like everybody hearing the story was expecting, instead the father loves him, runs to him, celebrates. And Jesus is saying, this is what the heart of God is for you. <laughs> and when he told those stories, when he was here on earth, the religious people of the day, they were the ones that were offended. They were the ones who'd been following these prescribed religious duties, and they were striving to prove that they were good enough, that they deserved God's love. And so they heard these kinds of stories Jesus would tell, and to them, it sounds reckless. Another story, and this is the one I want to look at a little more today, um, the story of the vineyard workers. Anybody familiar with that story? Jesus told this story of the vineyard workers, and I'll go into it in a moment here, but this one really messed with people's ideas about, well, who gets in? Like, who counts? Who really matters? Who gets left out? Who's on the outside? Who's on the inside? Who, who deserves to get love and who doesn't deserve to get it? And to those kinds of mindsets, Jesus tells this story in Matthew chapter 20. For the kingdom of heaven, it's like the landowner who went out early one morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay the normal daily wage of a denarius and sent them off to work. I mean, this starts out, you know, it's just kind of a typical normal story, but then, next verse here, Jesus is about to throw a curveball because, friends, remember, this is a love story that Jesus is telling with his entire life. And in this love story, he's about to describe what it looks like when love acts. See, love doesn't just kind of hang out wishing everybody would just realize the truth that they are loved. No, no. Love looks like something, right? Love acts. Love gets off the couch, and what happens for us when we get off our couch, it's modeled by God as he displays himself through this landowner, verse 3, where we read, about 9 in the morning, the landowner went out and saw others. So he hired them, telling them that he'd pay them whatever is right at the end of the day. So, little note here, why the first group of people he hired uh, got a denarius, that full day's, generous full day's pay. This crew, this next crew, they were going to have to just kind of wait and see what they'd get paid, but they said, fine, we'll, we'll go to work. Now, just even right here in the beginning of the story, like, the vineyard owner didn't need to hire them. Like, he already has a crew at work. He already has a people. But he looks up, he goes out, and he sees that there are others that nobody else sees. And so he does this at 9, he does it again at noon. And then at 3 o'clock, now the workday ends at 6, but he still goes out and gets more workers at 5 o'clock. And this displays God's love that he's not just content to take the first comers, the first that jumped in line, the ones that were born into it. He keeps going out. His heart of love looks for more and more and more because love acts. And so as we read the rest of the story, it's, it's really a compelling story. My, my friend uh, Steve Ween says it has a very riveting ending. It's worthy of an, of an Oscar, according to Steve. And um, So we'll look here. If you're following along, it'll be on the screen, or if you want to look in your Bible, verse 8. Verse 8, when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his supervisor, 
Um, hey, man, listen, I want you to call the workers and pay them their wages. And again, remember the early ones, they were getting a denarius that they agreed to. And everybody else, the latecomers, they were just going to work for whatever they got, okay? Right? So then he says this, verse 8 again, call the workers, pay the wages, beginning with the last ones hired, the 5 o'clock people. And then go on to the first. So the workers who were hired at about 5 in the afternoon came and each received a denarius, a full day's pay. Now, if we just pause there, it kind of raises a question for me in the story that Jesus is telling. First of all, it's interesting that, that everybody receives a denarius, no matter how long you've worked, right? Whether you were there for an hour or 12 hours, everybody receives a full day's wage. And by the way, this was a really generous full day's wage for a day laborer. But my question is this, you know, why was it so important for the landowner that the people that came at 5 o'clock got paid first? The ones that only worked an hour got paid first. Was it because he wanted to make sure everybody else was watching? I mean, again, like, did you notice that part? And I kind of wonder, why is that a central part to this love story? Well, let's read the rest of the story, starting in verse 10. So when those who were hired... Um, when those came who were hired first, again, pause here, just they're sweaty, right? They've worked 12 hours. Just picture the scene, all these workers. Imagine you were that person that was the sweaty one. They'd been there, you'd been there all day. You'd agreed to work for a Daenerys. You were grateful. You worked all day. It's been really hot. It's been really hard work. And then you come in and you see all these other workers, and especially the latecomers, they're probably not even really sweaty. They're probably still looking great, right? But they get paid first. They receive a Daenerys, Right? So, again, verse 10. When those who came who were hired first, they expected to receive more. Which would make sense, right? Doesn't that seem, you know, fair? Here's the deal, though. Um, I ran across a quote that says this. Grace is always amazing grace. But grace that can be calculated and expected is no longer grace. Grace that can be calculated... And expected is no longer grace. So the story goes on. The scripture says, each of them also received a denarius. And when they received it, they begin to grumble against the landowner. Which, again, cut them some slack. That's exactly what you and I would do, right? You know, hey, hey, these guys that were hired last, they worked only one hour. And this next phrase is really interesting here. It reveals a lot. They say, and you have made them equal to us. Ooh, whoa, 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 just a sec here, right? If I'm the landowner, I'd probably be thinking, <clears throat> dude, uh, who makes people equal to each other? Like, this is an interesting revelation of what they think and what we would probably honestly think. Like, the responsible workers, they're saying, hey, you've made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. But the landowner answered to one of them, I'm not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Well, take your pay and go. And then check this out. These two wonderful words. I love this. The landowner says, I want. <laughs> I want to give to the one who was hired last the same as I gave you. Like, he's saying, I want. It's my prerogative to be generous, even foolishly generous, even recklessly generous and loving. It's my prerogative to look at you and give you what you don't deserve. And again, this is amazing grace. This is God's love on display. 
And I think what Jesus is trying to do is to get the folks who are listening to this story to grasp this truth. Especially those of us who might mistakenly think like our culture leads us to think, you know, hey, well, listen, God's the kind of God who, who cares more about the first person that shows up. That's who gets credit. That's who he gets righteousness. Um, God does it for those people, the ones that jump in line right away, right? Not the last people, not the ones that have wandered off or been hanging out all day or haven't worked that much, right? But to that kind of thinking, which is all through our culture, Jesus says, no, nope. See, I think Jesus is saying, friends, the story that we live in is not a regular story. Remember, we live in a love story, a reckless love story. And love takes great pleasure in revealing someone else's dignity, which is what happened for these workers that came later. I mean, think about this. You got a bunch of group of people. There's, you know, standing around each other, and they're looking at one another, and they're measuring each other. They're kind of sizing each other up. They're, they're saying to themselves, you know, we do this, right? Um, well, that person's maybe a little less than me. Is that my best Thurston Howell the third? Sorry, love you. Yeah, that person's a little less than me, and well, that person might be a little, you know, more than me. But in the kingdom of God, in, in God's way, in his family, in his story, all of those scenarios get wiped out with this reality check of the love of God. See, love enjoys saying, hey, hey, dude, um, the one who's been in this for a long time, here's your denarius. And you over here who've only you know, worked for an hour, hey, here's your full denarius as well. And if I'm this dude over here that got that after an hour, that's like, whoa, whoa, that's amazing grace, isn't it? That's amazing grace. If I'm the person that showed up at 5 o'clock, I experience that move as amazing grace. Like, like I'm a 5 o'clock person, barely made it in. I, I'd be shocked at the generosity of the landowner. In fact, I might be so moved by seeing this generous heart and love, I might kind of want to respond by getting up the next day and being around the landowner, whether he's hiring people or not. I might be there at 6 a.m. the next morning just to be around him. But sadly... <clears throat> The other piece is true as well. Those who showed up at 6 a.m. on the first day, the temptation is to just cross your arms and say, I can't believe this. This is not fair. But Jesus comes, stands in the middle of those two groups and says, listen, friends, we are all desperately in need of amazing grace. And I believe Jesus would say to us, I want you to see this person and that person and every other person as someone of worth and dignity. I want you to see each other as people made in my image, as someone that I love. So again, don't ever forget, we live in a love story. And again, we love that phrase here uh, at, at Hope that, that I talked about a minute ago, um, love acts. Love acts. See, that's true of God, <clears throat> and it's true for us. It, it's true of how we are to show love to others' people as well. Like, love acts is how we receive God's love. But then we do the same as he does. Like love for us means we get up off the couch and we move toward people. Right? Again, Jesus modeled this, then he called us to follow him, to be willing to receive his reckless love and then to love others the same way that he loves us. And when we start to do that, when we start to get, you know, thoughtful about what that would look like and how it would be that maybe we would love other people with this love that we've received, then it really opens our eyes. 
It, it causes us, when we get serious about how do I love people, it causes us to start to see others. We, we might maybe begin to see and notice around us. Now, my wife Heidi, she does this really, really well. Um, she mentioned last week in, in the message how she experienced the love of God in her mid-30s. She became a Christian at that point, and it just changed her world. And I know this about her life and her story, that when she received the love of Jesus, she quickly began to have a deeper heart for other people, for the poor, for the oppressed, for the marginalized, for refugees, for people that are disabled, um, for neglected veterans, for homeless people. She, she just, it went quick to her. It's such a great picture of the vineyard deal, right? Like, hey, I received this, and now I have this heart for others. Uh, amazing grace, amazing love, and it flows right through her. Now, this worked out really good for me, by the way, because <clears throat> after about a decade of her becoming a Christian, maybe a little longer than that, her heart was really deep. Eventually, became, she became even more merciful and selfless, and so I think that's how she took pity on me and married me, Right? I mean, it's true, right? You know this like I know this, right? I don't deserve this woman at all. Um, at one of the Christmas parties last week, Phil, you know, he, he's straight. He's an honest guy with me. He said, all right, Doug, seriously, man, how'd you pull that off, right? How'd you do this? <laughs> and bro, if I knew, I'd write a book and I'd be rich, so I have no clue, all right? I just... But love does see, right? Love begins to notice, begins to see other people, and with Heidi's deep heart for the world around, the broken world around us, she's one that sees what other people don't see or maybe won't see. Like love looks up from their smartphone and sees others, invites them in. I have a friend that's coming to visit soon, and he is so good at just kind of stopping his life and just engaging with people wherever he's at. It's amazing, and I want to be more like this kid who tells me I'm a mentor to him, and I go, you've got this way more down than I do. Because love, my friends, it, it, it really enjoys bestowing dignity on other people who normally don't get their dignity revealed. There's a, a story. Um, there's a guy back at our home church in, in Minnesota. His name's Jack. And Jack lives in this place where um, he'd go by this person who would stand at the intersection just about every day, and the guy would hold the sign. And the sign reads, um, hello, I'm Ernest. And, and so Jack got curious about this, and Jack's one of those guys that notices, right? So one day Jack makes some plans, and he puts a chair in the back of his car. He decides he's going to do something. He takes a little extra time, and, and as he pulled up, he parked his car, he got out, and he introduced himself to this man that was holding the sign, and, and he says to him, hey, um, hi, my name's Jack. And the guy says, hi, I'm Ernest. And Jack said, listen, um, I don't know what your story is, and I'd love to hear it, but what I'd love to do, if you're okay with this, is I'd, I'd just love to hold your sign for you for a while. And so I brought this chair along, you know, and so you could just, like, sit in it, and I don't know, like, take a break, right? And Ernest looks down at the chair, and he's like, wow, man, that's, that's awesome. But he thought for a moment, and then he looked back at Jack, and he said, but your name's Jack, Right? And he said, yeah, Jack, my sign says, hello, I'm Ernest, so you'd be lying if you held up this sign. <laughs> <laughs> I 
But then he said to him, listen, I know this, uh, I, I appreciate your generosity toward me, but I, I know this might sound weird, but me holding that sign, that's my work. You might not get that, but that's what I do. So why don't you sit down in that chair and just take a break and hang out for a while. And, and right then Jack realized the whole tables had been turned because Ernest was going to let Jack hang out with him. And... and Ernest felt his dignity arise because Jack took time to reveal the dignity. And so, my, so Jack was telling a story to my friend, and, and he made this really important connection. He said, listen, Jack didn't give dignity to anyone. He revealed it. Right? It was already there. He just revealed it. He let the dignity that was already in earnest be revealed. By locking eyes with another human being, by hearing their story, he revealed their dignity. This, this human being, another human being created in the image of God. And Jack says he learned a little bit about the world because he saw someone else. He saw them. He got up off the couch. He made a plan. It wasn't just an idea, right? It wasn't passive. It wasn't, oh, yeah, well, remember that idea that I had if I could have? Like, I could have. I could have just stopped and talked to Ernest. Man, oh, that was a great idea. Never did it, but it was a great idea, right? Now, here at Hope, we would say it this way. No, no, love acts, right? Love gets up off the couch. It moves towards. Love sees opportunities that no one else sees. Love really enjoys bestowing and revealing the dignity in other people because that's what love does. And I've seen so many cool things that I wish I could tell you great stories, but they're confidential stories, but there's so many great people here in this room who have been so generous to different folks. And, and I get to hear about it usually through Heidi because they know not to come to me. <laughs> but the generosity of somebody going, hey, is there somebody we could help? We just feel like we want to help somebody. And the stories are so incredible. They're so beautiful. And, and again, it's not about that person feeling better than anyone else. They want to bless other folks and let their dignity arise. And in fact, when I remembered and, and looked back at this story that I just told you about Jack and Ernest, I almost was like, you know what, I can't do this sermon today. I can't tell this vineyard story because I am terrible at this. Um, it's been a crazy number of months. Um, it, it's Christmas time, and I'm thinking of all these people that I just want to say thank you to. A lot of you in the room here that I wish I could just say thank you and take time and, and spend time or give a gift, and, and, and I go, man, I am terrible at this. Um, I am terrible at this. I get way too busy. Uh, all the people that I wish I could spend time with and would love to spend time with and meet with and take time for. And so then I read this story again of Jack and Ernest, and I see the disconnect in my own life. Um, so I almost skipped this, and I was on the phone with Mark Sullivan, and, and I was telling him that, like, oh, man, I think I'm going to have to rewrite my whole stinking sermon. <laughs> and Mark said, hey, no, 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 no. This is where you say, nope, I'm not very good. I'm learning this as well. So we're in the same boat, those of you that go, I really want to grow in this area. I'm not sure how, maybe even, but I want to grow. I, I, want, to, I want to see with eyes of love. And so the invitation is not me telling you what to do. It's us as a community of hope, learning, maybe even better from those in our community who already do this well, to pay attention to their lead and how we can love people like this and give them dignity and move toward people and get off off the couch, for, for us really to be a people that embrace the idea that love acts. 
And so this vineyard parable that we've looked at partially today, it just reminded me again, like, oh, hey, no, that's for me too, right? It reminds me that, that God's love for me, if I get it right, it's the same as if I blow it again. That story reminded me that this is a love story. See, it's all about Advent. It's all about this deep longing that each of us has inside of us for this love that would get up off the couch and move toward us because love acts. Love would get out of heaven, invade earth, and change everything because love acts. That's what Jesus does in the incarnation. When he is born as a human, Jesus left heaven. He moved towards us. He he sees us in our moments of darkness, and he still says, hey, hey, I know it's 5 o'clock. I know you have screwed up your whole life until now, but I got room. I got room in my vineyard. Do you want to come? For God so loved the world. So love the world that he gave, his one and only son. God loved, love acts. He gave Jesus. He sent Jesus. I want you to rewind your brain, your imagination with me to that moment where he gave Jesus. Like the moment in history before God does make good on his promise to send the Messiah, to come in the flesh, to be the Messiah. Can you imagine that moment right before the plan begins? Imagine God the Father locking eyes with Jesus right before he gives his son Jesus to the world that he loves. Out of love for this world, Jesus is given by the Father. Imagine that moment. My friend John Lynch writes about that moment this way. He says, can you imagine that look? A decision between a father and a son from before forever now gets played out. And the son prepares to leave heaven to enter this world of failed love, poisonous deceit, unthinkable violence, sickness, bigoted arrogance, fear, darkness, endless vanity, and screeching metal. Son, are you certain? And Jesus said, yes, yes. And then they see deeply into each other. Imagine somehow deity staring at deity. It's this exchange of love, eternal, unspeakable, perfect, joyous, heartbreaking, heart-freeing, unimaginable love. And, and, and this look is perhaps only equaled later in the son's awakening in resurrection. But in this moment, before that happens later, they stare in utter pers- purposefulness and tenderness into each other's hearts. And so it happens. The plan is set into motion, into real time, into an exact location. God invades a dying planet in the form of the tiniest and most fragile of life, a baby. And imagine the father, even in that moment, back home, mouthing words that only he will hear. Hello, world. World, this is my son, my only son. Please, please, I know what you will do, but I have to ask. 
for even I have made myself helpless to stop what my love has set in motion. So please, I'm the only one in the universe who cannot call out to someone stronger for help. I now have to rely on the mercy of humans. And Jesus is born. Some 30 years on earth blur by. And then 2,000 years more for his life and Death and resurrection on earth did not immediately solve this planet. It will one day. But somehow, that story that began with the Father and the Son's conversation and Jesus coming, here we are today. Somehow, unbelievably, you know, inconceivably, this story, friends, has reached us. This story of love has reached you and me. I mean, you think about the story of God, it would be an epic tale beyond all others if God had just endured our very existence and chosen not to destroy us after all we've done. (laughs) For we know ourselves, right? We know ourselves. Each of us would have sent this ball into destructive madness if given the chance that Adam had. He just got there first. (laughs) But in spite of the madness of our world, of our lives, This happened. (laughs) Love found its intended object, us. See, there is no way to express this kind of love. Only trying to imagine, though, that indescribable look of love the Father gave to the Son before dying, before the Son died for our world, and then now God gives that look to you and I. Every single one of us, each of us. Some of us actually have found ourselves risking to believe that Jesus did what his father claims he has done. And so at any time, all of the time, this is now true, the son says that he loves us to the exact extent that his father loves him, and the father claims the same. He, Jesus, stares into my eyes, your eyes, and he declares, as the father has loved me, So I have loved you, now remain in my love. I mean, this verse right here is just Jesus declaring that even Jesus and the Father have not experienced a greater expression of love. I mean, just that right there blows me away. Like, this cannot be, this must be wrong. But there it is in the scriptures. The Gospel of John, written with the same breath that that God uttered John 3.16. And I think about that truth right there. (laughs) I mean, brothers and sisters, (laughs) listen, question his taste, okay? The taste of God, but do not question his character. This is the extent of his love for us, of the glory of the birth of Jesus. And so... The love and the depth of love expressed in heaven now gets poured out on you and me. And to repay it, we can't really do that. We just have to get used to the fact that his love for us is true. And we risk living out of it. We accept his love even even when our own lives appear to deny the impact of his love for us. See, nothing else is close to worthy of his unspeakable love being poured out by a baby who entered this scorching pain and hopelessness. And friends, until we are home one day, we will not know fully this God of love who released this wonder beyond all magic. And so this Christmas season, I think it's just enough for us to focus on receiving his love. Receive his love. Jesus 
coming for us and finding us and helping us believe and then changing us irrevocably upon our clumsy and, and ridiculously imperfect belief in him, he still changes us. And all my heart can cry out when I look at what Jesus has done is this prayer. God, I am so sorry that you had to say those words to yourself when you said, son, are you certain? And Jesus said, yes, I'm sorry you had to say that so long ago, but I'm endlessly grateful that love was helpless to keep all of this from happening. So thank you, Father. Thank you, Son. And Merry Christmas to the rest of us. Worship team, will you come? Friends, I, again, I'm just so blown away when I think about Christmas and the life of Jesus and what he gives to us. I'm blown away by this love story. Really, this reckless love story of Christmas, that God so loved the world, loved you and me so much that he gave, he gave Jesus. I mean, again, what, what in the name of all that is good and right and fair was God thinking? Like, what does God see in this world or in us that would prompt such an act of love? Oh, but friends, there's something important to remember about love. Love, true love, is not dependent on the other. It's not dependent on the other. And so, since God is love, his love was all it took. He holds this unreasonable affection for us, a reckless affection. See, friends, we're all late to the party. We are all end-of-the-day add-ons. We are all five o'clock people. That's how the reality of the story of God works. That's who he offers his love to. Because, friends, I mean, really, if, if we think back to that parable of the vineyard, if we all got paid what we deserved, we'd get nothing. We get nothing, and that includes the good performers who don't sin very much, as well as those of us, you know, like me, who blow it over and over again. If any of us were to get paid what we deserve, we'd get nothing. But that's not how it works. How it works is because God so loved the world that he gave us Jesus. So my question for you is this. Can you dare to believe that this God of love has moved toward you? Can you set aside maybe all the other confusing issues and questions and whatever and just start with this God of love moving toward you? And he did it with intention. Because no matter where you're at in the spectrum of being an early comer or a late comer, God says to you, come to my table. There's room for you. I want you in my family. I want you to experience my love. Will you stand with me as we prepare to pray and sing our closing song? Jesus, thank you for coming. Father, thank you for sending Jesus. Thank you for revealing this love story that we live in. And then thank you for calling us to love others as recklessly as you love us. I pray that as we get our hearts ready for Christmas in just two days, that we would enter into it remembering the deep love that you have for each one of us.